Hi, and welcome to AM in the Afternoon, a podcast on big ideas and little thoughts that matter. I'm Ange. And I'm Margie. And we're your hosts. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be catching up to talk about big and small topics that we think are important and delving into the creative ways people communicate and how it impacts our daily lives. This episode, we're going to be taking a closer look at something that maybe you might think is mundane, but we are very passionate and excited about. It's a refuge for peace and quiet in today's hectic world. Libraries. (laughs) Please don't stop listening. We promise to make this entertaining and informative. Absolutely. So what do you think of when you think of a library? Do you think of the sexy librarian or a whole bunch of geeks or kind of oddball weird people hanging out in one place? Uh, Do you think of stinky stale books and the frustration of looking for things in the Joy Decimal System? Um, Maybe you haven't even set foot in a library since you were in school. Maybe it's just something you kind of forgot about existed. Well, we love libraries. And what this came about, or how this came about, I guess, is uh, we're recording this podcast from the very great public resource of the Vancouver Public Library. Shout out to the Vancouver Public Library. Special shout out to the Sound Labs and the Vancouver Public Libraries. Uh, They not only have great facilities for us to do all this recording for free with our library card, they have technicians on hand to answer all of our ridiculous questions (laughs) and help us save our work every single time. So... We thought libraries are, they've been around for centuries. They have huge significance. Um, So we thought, well, let's explore libraries a little bit more and talk about them on our podcast, which is being recorded from a library. So here we go. And actually, once we started looking into it, we kind of realized just how important libraries are. So why do we love libraries? Uh, Yes, why do we love libraries? Other than than the free free resources that we're enjoying right now. (laughs) Well, ever since I was a kid, so growing up in Australia, I remember the library was the only place that was air-conditioned at the school. (laughs) So the library was always a bit of a hit. That's a big deal when you're in Australia as well. (laughs) Yes, when it's like 35 degrees and like humid outside, the cool comfort of the library was a big thing. So I actually have great memories of the library as a kid. And... The more I find out about libraries, I just keep telling people about all the cool stuff that you can get You've for free. You've got to go to the library. You've got to man. go to the it's library. Awesome. <laughs> so, in Vancouver, for instance, I had no idea about this until we started looking into this, but you can get a pass rented from the library that lets you actually go to different attractions. So, like the aquarium, which I think costs. Expensive. Yeah, maybe not the... And definitely you can go to some museums and things for free if you rent this pass from the library. And you have to rent it like a book. It's awesome. I know. So the more things I find out like that, I just think, what a fantastic community resource. And as Ange and I have both experienced, there is just this endless cast of characters at the library. Oh, the people watching, which is one of my favourite pastimes, the people watching is on point. It's the best place to people watch outside of the airport, probably. We have had to pause this podcast a few times because we are recording in a glass booth and just because some of the antics that are happening pretty nearby. Hilarious (laughs) characters that you see shuffling past and just the weird things that people are getting into or carrying or wearing anything. It's It's amazing. We love it. hilarious. Definitely, definitely hilarious. I 
I feel just the same as you, Maggie. I well, first of all, I, I love reading. So oh yeah, I do I, love reading. I probably you know, should have said that. Libraries have books in them, so that's that's they kind do. of fun. And it's always I always have like an ongoing list of books, and then I don't really like buying books because first of all, it's expensive, and second of all, you read it and then it just kind of clutters your house or you give it away. I, I'm not a bookkeeper, so I oh, like being different. able to just take them from the library and return them and get that clutter out of my house. Oh, good for you. I. My husband will tell you, we have such a collection of books. I've seen your bookshelf. Yeah. yeah it's, it's a good one. It's a bit embarrassing. I haven't read them all because people now know that I like getting books. So they give me books, which I love. And then I haven't read them all. See, I'm ruthless. If it, Like, if I don't read it, it's, it, it gets it's a cat. Yeah, mm, absolutely. Wow. Yeah, I think it's a really cool resource for the community. And I guess I'm one of those people who hadn't really spent much time in the library in the last few years. It's kind of... I don't know, I hadn't had a need to go there. But since we've been doing this podcast, I feel like I've been visiting the library regularly and I've just been, it's just, I I just feel like we're living in a great democracy when there's, you know, a library like this, which has got such, such amazing resources for the community. And like, it means like, our community's working. I'm really happy that my taxes are going towards oh, something like same. this. It's really good. Oh, and I should have said, I'm butting in to no. your, your favourite bits, but yeah. for instance, I have some friends that have had babies recently and in the last year, and they go to their libraries, so not this particular branch, for things like reading hour, and they can actually connect with other mothers that they may not have met, and like their kids, you know, they get sort of get a little bit of time off while the kids are playing. That's really cool. There's all these cool things like that that I had no idea even existed, and yeah, that's like a really common thing at the libraries to have these sort of community days or community hours, I guess. Groups. Yeah. I have a funny side story about that. I popped into the library to pick up something just in and out, and uh, there was one of those groups. But it was a father's, like, sing song group, I guess. So it was all these dads with their toddlers singing nursery rhymes and kind of dancing around in a circle. Um, What a great thing. It was pretty amusing to watch. um, (laughs) And it was quite the, you know, usually you hear those groups and it's typically mothers and they have, you know, it's just the sound of all the fathers singing together was, was a beautiful thing and quite entertaining very different I like that yeah I liked it as well um, and yeah just I can't emphasize this enough that I love the people watching and I could <laughs> go on for hours of all of the weird things weird and wonderful things we've been watching but it's also like just the cross section of society in terms of people yes. watching I mean you've got all ends of like everyone with all different interests you've got students you've got the elderly you've got um, you know, people from all over the world, like there's all different language sections in this library. So, you know, there's a lot of immigrants here or like, you know, a lot of homeless people hang out here because it's warm and dry and yeah. safe. And we'll talk a little bit about that later on as well. But yeah, there's just, there's just a great community meeting spot. And one other thing, we've even seen musicians, like people belting their hearts out in these um, recording studios that we're in. You know, it's amazing. It's amazing what you see. So as you can tell, Ange and I are both pretty big fans of the library. Side note, we are not being paid. Oh, no, but we're totally open to that if, you, if yeah. someone wants to pay us. A library sponsor? and A library <laughs> advocate? Does that exist? I don't think so. Oh, okay. Right. So we're not the only fans of libraries, though. We did have a little look at where did libraries come from? And basically, they've been around forever for basically all of human civilization. So sort of the first collection of written knowledge in some kind of repository dates back like you know dates back to ancient Mesopotamia goes back as all the civilization itself so 
more than like 5,000 years. Yeah, exactly. So archaeologists have uncovered papyrus scrolls from 1300 BC from ancient Egypt. There's been clay tablets found from more than 5,000 years ago as well. And all these kind of things indicate that people have been collecting information in some kind of way for a really long time. But it was kind of the ancient Greeks that propelled the idea of literacy and intellectual life. And basically public and private libraries flourished during ancient Greece. But obviously they didn't have a printing press. So copying books was a really exacting business and one that was really in high demand and considered quite an important role because a book's trustworthiness meant that it had um, a high quality publication. That makes sense. Yeah. So Aristotle, for instance, very well known, Mm -hmm. (laughs) philosopher, still still today, he had a very large private collection, I guess, of information and scrolls. So he was sort of one of the first people who have thought to have such a big collection back in the olden days. Yeah, I think that was a. I did quite a little bit of uh, research about like kind of the histories of li- history of libraries as well, and I kept coming up that, you know, there were a lot of public or like you know there were like the, the key historic libraries, but the kind of private libraries were kind of key back in the day. Mm. Of like they were the ones that, you know, that's where stuff wasn't necessarily centralized for everyone to access. It was like right. the rich and intelligent few. Yeah, it definitely wasn't a democratic place for everyone <laughs> to congregate that Angie and I love so much today. It was very much the intellectuals. Mm-hmm. You, they are the ones that had libraries. Definitely not women. Definitely not women. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. So it was more for the scholars, for people with these literary kind of qualifications and backgrounds. And so by sort of the middle of the second century BC, Rome, ancient Rome, also boasted rich library resources. So Again, it was the more upper-class people, not sort of your everyday Joe, but, you know, Julius Caesar dreamed of establishing a public library, supposedly, but his vision was cut a bit short by his assassination. Yeah, that'll do that. It will do that. (laughs) So then we get to sort of the Renaissance period and um, out of the Middle Ages, and European people begin to look to this kind of Greek and Roman tradition for all sorts of things, like architecture and everything. And one of the things is artistic and literary classics from the time, the inspiration. So that's more when libraries, again, started to enter, I guess, the public consciousness. And then the basically bringing in the Gutenberg press. So the idea that making books could be much faster than writing by hand, having these printed books, really revolutionized the idea of books and even literacy. So, and I think communication on the whole yeah. as well, because it's like getting messages out to the mass. So it's the first time you've got mass communication, really. Yeah, and I think so. It sort of started with the Bible. They had, mm-hmm. you know, Gutenberg Press meant that everyone can get a Bible, but literacy was a really big part of this. And so throughout sort of the 1600s, 1700s, libraries surged in popularity. And then here we are today. <laughs> yeah, we skipped skip <laughs> a, few, uh, a few years there. One thing I um, sort of was reading about is you know what's been lost in libraries over the years so 1666 was the great fire of london um and it consumed four-fifths of this of the city or the ancient city so it's a lot of london and they actually kind of stashed away a lot of stuff um i forget the name of like the kind of church but then that actually crumbled and got destroyed so a lot of um books and manuscripts were burned but it's also it's not strictly just the libraries that get destroyed and things like that it's the private libraries so 
you know, everyone's personal collections, um, four-fifths of, of a city is getting destroyed. That's a lot of, you know, private libraries, which were, you know, a key place for some of these documents back in the day. Um, and it was also, so people's private collections are getting destroyed, but things like records, which is super valuable for historians oh, yeah. now. So people now who are writing books for libraries need to research things. And when you've got four-fifths of a city that gets destroyed and burned, even things like you know, people's accounting records and things yeah. like that, that like people now look back on and they're like, okay, this is the price that they would pay for slaves or, you know, little yeah. insights of like so many things you can glean from finding those historic documents. But so much of that is lost, which is, it's a real shame. Yeah. And it's funny to think of it like that because even um, when you go to a museum, you know, that's stuff that I always find really interesting. Like mm -hmm. exactly what you said about the slaves in um, Charleston, I think it is, they have the slave museum and it talks they have actual records of how much does a person go for if they're say a male and strong versus a woman with children which is a bit of a dud vibe but you know like it's crazy stuff like that yeah absolutely or like the book of negroes talks about that as well like the history of like oh, the wow. actual book that re record people coming in right. the boats and yeah and the way that that was kind of written and and you think though, like, sold off. and that's stuff that we need to remember. So if you, you know, if you lost that information, would we have that same consciousness of how slaves were treated? I don't know. Yeah. And, and I mean, and that's just one huge aspect. Think of all the smaller things of like every single possible topic you could study through history mm. and the type of information you can get from historical records. So it's things like that are really vital. And, mm. And talking of book burning, uh, the Great Fire of London, this is a good little segue, is, you know, when you think of books, one thing that comes to mind is burning books, because obviously throughout history, there's books are a key to information, they're a key to disseminating information, um, so controlling those books and who reads those books and the content of those books is very political. Um, so I did a bit of digging into what books have been burned over time and I mean there's a gazillion and there's you know unfortunately it's still happening all over the world you hear of stories of you know this country's outlawed this or they're burning this you know it's it's not it's it's, it's not something that just happened in the past yeah it's not extinct completely um and it's always we're always kind of at risk of things like that um but I mean the most obvious books that have been burned in history are any kind of religious texts so the bible the quran there's always going to be people that want to burn other religions' texts. Like, yeah. That goes without saying. But there's also some pretty funny ones that have been burned as well. Um, for example, Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> Such high literature right yeah, there. Yeah, it's not... Yeah, I mean, I guess people just thought... I, I Great. I think burn them. Oh, I mean, come on. <laughs> obviously, I'm not a supporter of burning books, but yeah, there's been some other funny ones as well. Apparently, Harry Potter. I can't believe that. Harry Sacrilegious. I know. There's, I mean, who would burn Harry Potter? Come on. I mean, witches and wizards, I guess, maybe don't go down too well in some... Religious circles, yeah, I guess. Yeah, maybe. They, they had a problem with it. Maybe they just didn't like that. Shakespeare. Shakespeare got burned. I guess back in the day, he was pretty... Um, well, I think he was contentious, but he was also delivering, you know, content or his plays were reaching the poor people as well, which I, I think people say, had a problem with. Yeah, well, I think he was like the pop culture guy of the yeah. time. You know, he was wrote the blockbuster movies. Like, it mm -hmm. wasn't always highbrow stuff. So so maybe maybe that's part of it. Another one was um, Charles Darwin's Origin of Species, which is oh, all about gorgeous. evolution. So obviously that's still... I mean, contentious with churches and stuff who, you know, don't believe in science and evolution. Um, yeah. So one I thought was hilarious in the 1980s, so pretty recent, 
in uh, London, or I guess it was, yeah, somewhere in England, London County Council, anyway. (laughs) In the 1980s in London, the use of Beatrix Potter's children's classics, uh, The Tale of Peter Rabbit and Benjamin Bunny, they were banned from all London schools. Like, And the reason is that the stories only portrayed middle-class rabbits. I just think that's hilarious. <laughs> the part that I don't understand. Does that mean that they wanted low, like, working-class bunnies? Yes. And, or did they want high-class bunnies? Oh, well, that's a great question. <laughs> or maybe they just wanted diversity of bunnies. Diversity of bunnies is really important. But then, you know, we also found Ernest Hemingway, Sherlock Holmes. The list kind of just keeps going on for People are always having a problem with books, it seems. <laughs> yeah, and the one, I mean, I didn't find it, um, I guess, that surprising, but I found it surprising how late it was banned. So pretty much we found anything that was a bit sexy or religious or considered blasphemous seemed to have been banned somewhere at some stage. But Lady Chatterley's Lover is a really famous book by D.H. Lawrence, which uh, does have a bit of you know sex in it. It's a bit of a sexy scene. It was banned in, like, the US, UK and Australia into the 60s, which... I think is really recent. So I was very surprised by that. And same with some other books, um, like The Satanic Verses by Salman Rushdie in some parts of the world was also banned pretty recently. So, yeah, interesting. Lolita, which isn't surprising because I've read that and it's obviously about pedophilia and it's a pretty grim book, but I didn't realise that was banned in New Zealand. Yeah. I read it in New Zealand, so I wonder what the dates were on that. Yeah, I'd say probably not now. but So I guess you could say that banned books help shape our culture and it's you know things that are controversial or hot topics pretty much then want to be read so you know if something that gets banned people start talking about it and there's a conversation around should this be banned you know what does this mean for our culture what does this mean for what our children are learning so I mean obviously it's always bad to ban books but it's certainly shaped our culture over time so interesting yeah any of these kind of controversies definitely at least spark a conversation so we sort of joked about 50 shades of gray but honestly i remember when i first heard about that a few years ago now and people were talking like hushed voices about these these books kind of you know (laughs) and people initially it was only released in ebook so and the reason was that like ladies could read it on the train without anyone (laughs) or men men might want to read well yeah men too i think it was i had a very targeted demographic that one though yeah yeah (laughs) I I actually never read those books. Neither did I. Oh, I, I thought no, you did. No, I thought you did. No. Oh, well, no. that just ruined that anecdote then. Yeah. <laughs> I was hoping you could jump in and tell me no. how great they are. My sister read it and she gave it, I think, like a 7 out of 10 for addictiveness and like a 2 out of 10 for writing quality. Oh, okay. I um, Well, Angie and I actually met at book club many years ago and... Someone at book club definitely read it and I remember... It was circulating It was sure. circulating for sure and... I definitely remember them saying that it was just terribly written. Yeah, like very bad. Yeah, like almost unreadable. But, you know, neither of us have read it, so we're not very good reviewers. Don't, we can't judge it, and we're certainly not going to burn it. No, no. <laughs> but if we destroy all of the books that raise these questions, we lose the ability to discuss them at all, which I think is the whole moral here and obviously very important. Absolutely. So on that note... Our libraries losing their relevance, you know. I say no. <laughs> Spoiler alert, no. <laughs> but ebooks are becoming more and more popular. Obviously, there's the Kindle. I think we both have one. Um, you know, you don't need, well, we don't need to go to the library to get a book, but there's a lot of people who can't afford a Kindle. So, you know, libraries are, are still relevant. But, you know, 
it's it's with the changing with you know the internet the way that it is and how easy it is to get books and information um you know there's it begs the question are they losing their their relevance and you're seeing more and more libraries with things like these inspiration sound labs like vancouver has or different groups and sort of teenage meetups and they have all these programs and they're obviously diversifying because being a, a quiet place to go and get books isn't necessarily enough and they have to be adapting to society's needs and mm. I think they're doing a really great job of that most libraries so yeah I, I think that's interesting yeah and I think it um I think that's a really good point and this whole idea of where our generation were we the last sort of generation of students to rely on libraries um because I remember even in like grade eight you know, in high school, going to the library to research my assignment. I did my entire degree without owning a laptop really? or a computer. Oh. Like, I did an entire bachelor's degree in the, like, library labs yeah. at my university. Actually, I... Well, I didn't have a laptop. I, I lived with my parents still, though, so I, like... Yeah, we had one computer we had to share. So mm. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of fights about who gets I feel up. like our age group is, like, the last group that kind of made that through, though. Like, I feel like mm. even high school kids these days have... Primary schools. Oh, really? Yeah. Honestly, even um, they, they're at least trialling it with some primary schools. At least in Australia, the public school system, there's some classes that get tablets and, you know, all sorts of things, which I just think... You can't help but think, is it even necessary? But that's a different... It doesn't seem very good for the environment. Like, surely you can just use... Mind you, books are burning trees, but I'm yeah, pretty true. sure it's... Yes, it just seems a bit unnecessary. And then what, do you get a new tablet every year? That's pretty expensive. Yeah, I don't know how it works. I mean, I don't even know if it's all all kids or just some classes, but I just found it really interesting that it seems to be becoming more and more the norm. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't that long ago that people came to the library. And there's, I mean, there's still a lot of computers in this library that we're in right now, <clears throat> and there's still a lot of people who go to the library to use the computer and whether they're doing assignments or just mm. using the internet. Um, there's obviously still a need for it with a lot of people in, in society. Oh, totally. So I think maybe our quiet libraries, the thing of the past, my pet peeve absolutely is people who are allowed in the library. I just get infuriated if I'm in the library and someone's talking loudly and it's something I like Maggie will attest to this yeah, I'm like so I can whispering. definitely vouch for this <laughs> and I'm like so self-conscious but you know there has been a conversation there's been like a lot of kind of media about it is should libraries still be quiet or is that a sign of a dying library and yeah. should it be you know can we just talk like normal now <laughs> yeah it's an interesting point I mean I would argue that some people still do browse book and want to read and do work but you know they do have these recording rooms they have meeting rooms sometimes they have all sorts of different spots. So, yeah, do you even need it to be quiet? I don't know. One other thing I was just reading in the news this week is, um, well, there's a couple of things. There's, I noticed that my local library in my neighbourhood has the, like, uh, like the rainbow flag sticker on the door, and it's basically like this is a safe place from harassment. So if you're oh. um, part of that community, LGBTQ think that's all if you're a part of that community you know it's a safe place um, but also a lot of homeless people obviously use the library because 
it's a great resource for them and it's safe and dry and warm. And Vancouver Public Library librarians are now um, trained and allowed to be issuing that drug that is like the, oh. what's it called, Nyxis? No. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yes. The um, one for fentanyl overdose. Yeah, so if someone's overdosing, apparently it's quite a lot like this has been a big problem in some of the US cities and, you know, it's uh, people are being trained on how to spot an overdose and what to do if you see one and how to issue this drug. So it's pretty gnarly. Wow, that's crazy. Imagine signing up to be a volunteer or a worker at a library and you're administering overdose drugs. Wow. Yeah, pretty pretty crazy. But I, I mean, I had a quick look on our library website and like they have coding for teens, like um, learning how to pitch a tent for kids. Like these <laughs> are not book related, but no. definitely making use of that community for, um, you know, families. So really awesome. Super cool. Oh, one other thing I read in the news recently is um, they had a bit of a mystery in Auckland, New Zealand. Um, so I'm from New Zealand, and they had a book vanishing mystery. And they basically, all these books kept going missing or turning up in really odd places, like under sets of shelves or like tucked in the wrong section. Um, and yeah, they, they couldn't work it out. And they finally got to the bottom of it, and it was homeless people hiding books. And, you know, they'd done a lot to kind of welcome Auckland's homeless community into the library, and a lot of homeless people use it and love reading. But they, a lot of them, out of respect for the books, didn't want to... Some of them couldn't get a library card because they didn't have an address, so they were unable to issue them. So they were wanting to come in and read it and not lose their place in the book, but, you know, not want to put it away for someone else to issue. So they were stashing it all over these, in these really odd places. That's crazy. Um, And then other people, you know, could issue it, had a library card, but respected the book and knew that they were sleeping rough and didn't want to get the book destroyed, which I just think is, like, really touching. It's really nice. Did they sort of have a system then for these people? They just keep hiding. No, obviously they didn't just be like, oh, we figured out the mystery and that's the end of it. No, they, um, they, they created a designated shelf for these people in the library so you can stash it and then put your name on it and they now have like this special place where they can go and kind of save their book in the library. That's such a cool idea. I think that's really touching and there was a really touching quote from one of the librarians um, and that was that so that community being the homeless community uh, really values the services we offer and treats the books with a great deal of respect. A lot of the guys that come in are extremely well-read and have some quite eccentric and highbrow literary tastes. People are homeless for so many different reasons, and being intelligent and interested in literature does not preclude that. Hmm, that's awesome. Very, very touching. Yeah. Cool library librarian right there. <laughs> yeah, I can't for say sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, and the only other thing that I was talking about, the whole relevancy of libraries, so I'm not sure about New Zealand and Australia, but um, I've certainly noticed in places in Vancouver there's a lot of sort of community books swaps and sometimes they're in really weird places like outside a cafe like on a public street there'll just be a shelf of books and you can go switch books in and out or in often it's like the junk room of a apartment block or mm, like the laundry room or, or the laundry room there will be um yeah a book swap thing and it's always just gives me a little bit of joy to see these like crazy located little mini libraries but I guess if we're talking about relevancy of Libraries. I mean, it does maybe reduce the necessity of a public library when we've got these little community things. But I just think things like that, I think, are really cool. There's tons in my neighbourhood. People have actually built little, like, wooden yeah. encased sort of shelves, at like, out by their letterbox. And then there's all these, like, libraries and you can either leave stuff or take stuff. And I got, like, a brand new awesome book 
that I had already read the book, but I thought I've, I've recommended it to a few people. Right. Um, so I grabbed that and I was like, oh, next time someone I'm telling them about it, I've got a copy to give them. And oh, it's, it's just such awesome. a cool thing. I think it's so cool that people take the time to do that. So maybe it makes it more relevant. And I don't know. I just thought it was an interesting thing. So switching gears a little bit, talking about libraries in popular culture, we're kind of talking about, okay, are libraries relevant? Well, then we started thinking, you know, libraries actually seem to have a pretty prominent role in a lot of the books and movies and TV shows that at least I read or watched growing up. So um, although we sort of debated this and you said maybe not so much for you. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I definitely think of the library cliche. But then when I actually was trying to think of movies with that cliche, I was struggling. But I also have a terrible memory. Like I watch (laughs) a movie and then I promptly forget it. So that could be the problem. So one of the ones that I think just comes up a lot is this whole idea of sexy scenes in libraries or like the reserved librarian who becomes really sexy, which I always think is just ridiculous. But books and films where it's been pretty pivotal is Atonement. The book Atonement and the film, there's this kind of very sexy and pivotal to the plot, as it turns out, scene set in a library. The Breakfast Club. Oh, I remember that for sure. It's basically (laughs) an entire movie of one long library scene. Yeah, exactly. Except when they escape and go running around the corridors. Oh, yeah, that's right. You know, not really that well versed in The Breakfast Club, but I have seen the film. (laughs) But there's a lot of movies um, where it's kind of really important. And when we were looking at it, librarians in these movies are often like these purette, you know, these old spinsters, all these like sexy, shy young women. And the people in them are often like nerds or at least really smart. And somehow the libraries hold the key to some greater secret or something important so yeah we just thought that was i thought that was really interesting it is for sure you know and it even goes into this whole magical kind of fantasy realm with movies like the page master which was like this 90s movie with macaulay culkin and the mummy um you know the main Mm -hmm. the main chick Mm -hmm. rachel weiser's character she's a librarian and my personal favorite when i was growing up um was buffy so the school librarian is Giles at Sunnydale, and he is the mentor for Buffy. And, yeah, you know, basically he starts off being pretty old-fashioned, clothes and spectacles, but he winds up being pretty cool by the end. And, you know, pretty much every single thing that they learn about vampires is through the libraries. It's really important. Interesting. And then there was the other one thing that theme that I noticed looking at pop culture was... The libraries seem to be really big in prison, according to TV shows and movies. So I guess there's not a lot else to do in prison. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. So the Shawshank Redemption, it's important, building this library. Orange is the New Black has some pretty pivotal scenes in libraries. And in both of those kind of examples, keeping the library going is this really important thing to the characters. So, yeah, I thought that was cool. Interesting. So let's circle back to people watching because really that's what we love the most about libraries. I've actually got a really funny anecdote. Um, A few years ago, maybe eight years ago, back in the day before I had a laptop and when I would actually go to the library and reserve time on the computer to go and, you know, catch up on the email and do some web browsing, like... Circa early Probably to, get onto your Hotmail. and yeah. uh, Such a weird thing that I, I can't believe I used to do. It wasn't that long ago, but, you know, anyway. So I'm dating a guy who is now my husband, and I'm trying to buy us hockey tickets to go and see Vancouver's top performing hockey team, the Canucks. 
Because <laughs> there's so many hockey teams here. Well, uh, that was a joke because they're like completely bombed. The the final game tickets are going to be $5 a game. Oh <laughs> it's like compared to what it was a few years ago. Anyway, so I jump onto Craigslist to try and get some tickets. Um, and there's a guy who says he has some. The price looks good. So I give him a phone call. And I answer the phone, like, hi, where are you? And then slowly the man at the computer opposite stands up and he's holding his phone and we're both chatting on our phone. And the the person I'd inquired to on Craigslist was the man opposite me on the other computer in the same library (laughs) as me at the same time. And it it just took me a long time. Like, I hadn't really heard him. I was trying to talk quietly. So it took me ages. Because you're in a library. Yeah, I know. I was feeling guilty just using my phone, but I didn't want to leave my computer. So I'm, and then everyone around me in the library is just staring at us like uh, in disbelief of what is going on right now. And then the man's like, we're just staring at each other. And I'm like, okay, all right, I'll hang up. Okay. (laughs) And then he's like, so do you have the money for the tickets? I'm like, no, I didn't expect you to be opposite me. Of course I haven't got the cash out yet. So... What are the actual chances, though, that a random Craigslist ad you would phone and the person would be at the computer, the public computer opposite you in the library? And I don't know if that just says something about Craigslist users or about you, but did you get the tickets? I did get the tickets. We went to the game. It was great. Did they win? Uh, I don't remember. It was okay. pre-season, so it wasn't, yeah. wasn't a big deal. No, that is an amazing story. <laughs> it's just funny. So I don't really have any amazing anecdotes like that, but it's just more, I think we've sort of hinted at it, some of the characters we've seen in this library, just people, well, for starters, some of the sections that are near each other maybe are kind of funny. There'll be like a parenting <laughs> next to like like new age sexuality or there was, you know, there'll be like an old man browsing some section. You're like, are you meant to be down in that self-help section? Also, I think there was one time we were, when we, one of the many times we had to pause and we looked up and the man, what was he doing? He was kind of moonwalking past, like this he like was. 80 year old man moonwalking past our window. Yeah. It was and he had really like a funny. mega mullet and he was just hilarious. Kind of just shuffling by. Yeah. And then even when we were talking about this, I think we were walking down the stairs, going down the escalators to leave. And there was just, you know, these crazy characters trying to check out books and these librarians just patiently helping them. And I just think, oh, the librarians here are the staff. Just so patient. There are some beautiful libraries around the world for sure, though. I mean, I feel like you... Libraries just lend themselves to, like, beautiful historic mm. buildings. So there's definitely a lot of awesome ones to check out. And Vancouver's is, like, I don't know too much about it, but I know that it, like it's kind of designed to look like an open book. It, um, oh. Like the architecture of it, it kind of almost looks like a coliseum. Yeah, but so I think it always looks like a coliseum, and apparently it's actually meant to. But that would make sense. Yeah, I've heard, I've read that it is supposed to kind of depict that. It's definitely a unique, you know, part of the the skyline. So that's oh, yeah. really cool. And I think it's been used in multiple superhero movies mm. that have been filmed here because it's got this really unique look. Hmm. Interesting. I actually read in a really interesting article in New York. I guess a lot of the libraries in New York are older, and back in the day, every library had a custodian, and that custodian, as part of the deal, was they got an apartment in the library. Oh, how cool! So, like, imagine a big old beautiful New York library, and then there's like a, it's like often like three or four bedroom apartment up the top. 
So, you know, I was reading this article from this woman who she grew up in a library. Her father was the custodian of the library and she would just have the library to herself in the evenings after it closed. And that just sounds like the beginning of like a wonderful movie. It does. And also, or like a horror movie. I can imagine it being like spooky and like, you know, very dimly lit. Because definitely some of the beautiful libraries that you can go visit, you know, like Oxford's... um, library was in three of the Harry Potter films or right. um, the library in Trinity College in Dublin. I mean, they could be spooky as well. They don't have to just be beautiful. They are beautiful, but... Yeah, there's a lot of history there for sure. Yeah. I, can, I, I don't know if I'd want to live in it. <laughs> yeah, well, what I what fascinates me the most is these library apartments are now abandoned because I guess they don't need a custodian anymore, but they haven't, like, some of them are used for storage, but some of them are just sitting empty, kind oh, of no. untouched. I was hoping that maybe you could rent them out. That would be a great Airbnb. Airbnb. Yes. Can you imagine? I would so do that. That would be amazing. Be awesome. I guess to wrap things up, we've got books about books or books, (laughs) books about libraries to share our love. So I'll kick things off. I think this is kind of obvious one, um, Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury. So it's kind of a classic. And if you're into anything, that's kind of, what's that genre called? Dystopian. Dystopian, that's the word I'm looking for. So if you're into Margaret Atwood or George Orwell or, you know, it's one of those. But it's, uh, I think the key quote from that is, without libraries, what have we? We have no past and no future. And it's all about this dystopian place which is kind of the US and you know they they're burning books and the firefighters um you know put out fires of books and that's kind of their job and they're suppressing all books and people are just watching TV 24 hours a day. So um, I actually only just read it for the first time I think last year and you know it's crazy how you can still relate it to today honestly like especially again I guess in a lot of the politics that mm-hmm. is going on but yeah, just the it's disturbingly relevant. <laughs> it really, it really is. It's interesting. Yeah, I, I read it within the last year as well, and thought the same thing for sure. Um, another book about the history of a book <laughs> is um, by an Aussie author, and it's called People of the Book by Geraldine Brooks. It's probably the the best book I read last year. It's it's not a new book. It's been around for a while, but it's basically inspired. It's, a, it's fiction, but it's based on fact, which mm-hmm. is always my favourite kind of historical yeah. fiction where you're learning yes. a bit, but they kind of weave an interesting, fictitious story into it. But it's inspired by the true story of protecting um, like a very special Jewish book over time. So I'm going to pronounce this word wrong, but it's this, it's, the book is called the Sarajevo Haggadah, which is like a kind of um, what they use, what's, what Jewish families often have to kind of tell stories I believe at the table like at dinner okay. um, I'm not as I don't know the exact use of it but this one's like really um, special because it's got um, really beautiful images which aren't typical um, of Jewish okay. sort of religious texts anyway it was the pride and glory of the Bosnian collection or kind of library and it was spirited out of the library and hidden in a bank vault when the Serbs began to target the libraries and museums of Sarajevo and their shelling in uh, the 1990s. But that was its second rescue. Half a century earlier, it was actually slipped out from under the no- noses of the Nazis and hidden in a village mosque for the duration of mm. World War II. So in 1941, it was... And what I think makes the story more beautiful is it was saved by an Islamic scholar. It was saved by an Islamic scholar in 
1941 in World War Two, but in 1992 it was saved by a Muslim librarian. Mm. And this is a Jewish text, which I think is like so significant in terms of the history of Sarajevo and like the different communities and you know how beautiful this book is and how they all wanted to protect it. Um, I guess it goes back to the title of the book too, because I actually didn't connect the dots until you just said that whole people of the book yes so that's like a whole thing in in islam is this idea that people of the book like um jewish christians and muslims are all meant to be people of the book you're all meant to have ah. this shared respect in islam um for for these religious texts and you're supposed to respect them because that's what came before and it's um they're also religious texts so wow really interesting yeah that I, I that was lost on me so yeah. thank you for that well it's okay <laughs> um and you know in 1992 it was um the muslim librarian saved it but a little later one of the librarians i guess they were trying to save a lot of books and one of the librarians colleagues um was carrying books away from the burning library and was killed by a sniper oh so it God. shows just how like crazy and scary it would have been and what they did to protect these books and That's this the is 90s. the 90s like, i know oh, so goodness. recent um so, yeah, the Sarajevo Haggadah sorry, was unusual amongst Jewish holy books because of the illustrations, and they were kind of styled like a Christian book of ours. So they were, yeah, very beautiful pictures in it. Um, and, yeah, it was written and illustrated in Spain in the mid-14th century. But what we don't really know much about the history of this book, and this is what this the people of the book kind of goes into detail. Um, but what we do know is that a priest actually spared it from book burnings in the Inquisition in Venice in 1609 because it wrote uh, the the priest wrote "revisto per me" or "I have approved this" um, and signed his name um, in like kind of the I guess the the spine of the book or in like on one of the pages. But we don't know anything about how it got from Venice to Bosnia. Um, so basically it's had like three savings yeah. through all this time. So as you can imagine, a really interesting story weaves into that. Oh, I really want to read that now. I actually haven't read that book. <laughs> so yeah, I think those are the, the two kind of key key books that I had. Oh, okay. I don't really have any other books, I think. I mean, I was thinking about it and all I could think of are things like Harry Potter and... Um, which are very books are very central to me. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and again, Buffy. Um, I think I mentioned it earlier, but the school library is literally um, built on the Hellmouth. So mm-hmm. in pop culture, we've got Buffy, we've got Game of Thrones, which also makes libraries seem pretty darn important. I think mm-hmm. so. Mm-hmm. All these kind of fantasy type of um, TV shows really center on this idea of libraries being this place of knowledge and books being really important, which I think is pretty cool, actually. So to finish things off, I think, first of all, everybody should go to their library. Yes, get a library card. Find your library card and use it. Pay off your debts like I did (laughs) because I had quite a lot of outstanding debts. And then check out what awesome resources have have, you know, that are going on and take a moment to really respect all the cool things that are happening and I just think it's the best use of my taxes. <laughs> yeah, we're really, really happy with it. So go check them out. Um, I think Lady Bird Johnson said it very well when she said, perhaps no place in any community is so totally democratic as the town library. The only entrance requirement is interest. Or JK Rowling said, when in doubt, go to the library. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that pretty much sums it up. <laughs> Over and out. <laughs> Thanks.